Hello and welcome to Embassy City Church Podcast. This is a place where all people can experience the love of God through the Word of God. Our prayer is that you will be inspired and transformed. Thank you for joining us today. I want to come uh, just really with um, a word of encouragement. You know, we've just had Thanksgiving. We're heading into holiday season and uh, going to be closing out 2019. Uh, but my prayer really as we, I guess, stumble into the close of this year, uh, I want to just speak a word of encouragement into you as individuals, as families, as couples, and as a church family. And as we prepare to head into 2020, I just want to speak a word of faith and encouragement into your circumstance. I'm hoping that you just leave this morning feeling a lot better about the life that you're living and the opportunities that are going to come your way in 2020. Does that sound good? Do me a favor, just give your neighbor a high five, tell them they're looking great. And then you can turn... Uh, in your Bibles, if you've got a Bible, to Judges chapter 6. If not, it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, I want to turn, I want to read my favorite Old Testament figure. I want to, I want to, I want to read about the story, the person of Gideon, but I want to, I want to reframe uh, maybe how you understand this personality in the Old Testament and how, as a result of that, I want to reframe how you're looking at your own life. So Judges chapter 6, uh, it's going to come up on the screen. It says this. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the tabernacle tree of Oprah Winfrey's house, which belonged. Come on, how you know Oprah is biblical? She's a biblical character. I believe so. Which belonged to Joash the Abarizite. While his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and says to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon says to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out from Egypt? But the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to Gideon and says to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. I, um, I don't know if you've spent any length of time uh, in church. And if you've spent any length of time in church, you've probably heard one or two faith messages about the spirit of faith. And most of the time, when I've heard pastors and ministers speak about faith, it normally goes something like this, that faith is the ability to step out, you know, to step out of your present circumstances, to take a risk, almost like Peter stepping out of the boat, stepping out of what is familiar and stepping out into the waters of what is unfamiliar. But I've learned from my, my own life and actually when reading scripture that most of the time faith isn't evidenced in our ability to step out, but actually faith most of the time is evidenced in our ability to stay put. Like, and the story of Gideon, Gideon is profound and has always helped me because here we have a man who day after day, week after week, month after month, maybe even year after year, here we have a man who continues to climb into his wine press and continues to work with what he's got and continues to thresh this wheat and this barley 
in the wine press. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to breathe a word of encouragement over you because some of you are closing this year thinking that you need to step out of something. But actually, I want to come with a word for you this morning that actually maybe your faith is most evidenced in your ability to stay put. So if you've got a pen and you want to uh, help your neighbor out at all, just tattoo this on their arm. Or if you're making notes, write this down. Work with your wine press. Work with your wine press. Are you with me? Uh, I, um, I've been in ministry for maybe the last 15 years in some capacity. And one of the things that I hate most about being in ministry is I absolutely hate being misunderstood which normally comes with the territory when you're a pastor because you're always misunderstood. And I remember one uh, particular Sunday, Beth and I, we were at the time, my wife, me and my wife Beth, we were pastoring uh, in Sheffield. We were the lead pastors at a great church in, in Sheffield called Hope City Church. For the last seven years, we were part of the team there for maybe 16 years, uh, uh, doing all sorts of stuff, youth, young adult ministry. And one particular Sunday when we were the lead pastors of this congregation, we were doing two or three services on a Sunday and then we were driving down uh, to Birmingham and we were planting a Hope City Church location in Birmingham. And so Sundays were busy for us. We'd do a couple of services, I'd jump in the car, I'd shoot home, I'd get showered quickly, grab some food, and then we'd be doing the two-hour drive down to Birmingham. We would do a service in the city centre of Birmingham, uh, you know, and then we'd go out for chicken because you always need chicken when you're a church planter. By the way, the best chicken in the world is right here in Irving. The chicken I had here in July was un- chicken and biscuit can change the world. Just as a side note. So we would, we would do that. Then we would wake up on a Monday with a, with a church planting hangover. And then we would do it all again the next Sunday. So Sundays were busy. And on one particular Sunday, I remember uh, doing a couple of services, jumping in the car. I think maybe our services had finished late. And so we were in a rush. You know, I'm a man sent from God, a man on a mission, you know, a man with the word of the Lord. So we're driving. We're driving. I'm dry, trying to drive home. I get stuck behind a minibus. Um, did we establish in the first service whether they're called minibuses? Like a minivan, like a Winnebago kind of thing with lots of people. So I get stuck behind this minibus and it's, um, it's a single lane. There must have been 16, 17 people on this minibus. And you know, I'm a man, I'm a man sent, sent by God I'm on, a, on a mission. So I needed to let this minibus know that was driving way below the speed limit that they needed to speed up because I had, you know, I had a burning word of the Lord to bring to the people of Birmingham. So I did what all pastors, Christians that struggle with road rage do. I began to pull up behind the minibus. Come on, are you with me? Like, you know, maybe a little flashing of the lights. Maybe, maybe a slight just toot of the horn, you know, because you know, I'm not, come on, I'm not the only person that struggles with any kind of measure of road rage. Have I got any brothers or sisters in the house this morning? Come on, I know that half of you are lying right now. I've seen how you drive, you know. So I'm behind this minibus trying to make it very clear that they need to speed, speed up. So all of a sudden the road splits into two lanes and I think, well, I have an opportunity now to find out where this minibus is from and make it very clear that they're, they're driving dangerously. And so as I pull out, the window's down, the hand is up, I'm trying to signal the driver. Uh, and as I pull alongside this minibus, I think I'm going to find out where this minibus is from. So I read along the side, H-O-P-E. Space, C-I-T-Y, space, C-H-I-T-Y, it was our church minibus. 
And not only that, but on this particular Sunday, it was filled with women that had been rescued from human trafficking and had been, you know, kept with us for safe pasture. And here's their pastor beeping a horn, flashing the lights, arm outside of the car, making all sorts of Christian gestures. God, you know, what do I do? God bless you. Just one final prayer of encouragement, you know, like then quickly drove off into the night. Uh, anyone hate me? I hate being misunderstood. Anyone with me? Sometimes it's our own fault. I'm convinced that when you and I get to heaven, I am absolutely convinced that we are going to be bombarded with Old Testament characters and figures who are entirely frustrated with the way that they have been miscommunicated and misunderstood for thousands of years. You know, like, like, like think about Peter. Peter gets a bad rap for stepping out of the boat and walking sinking, but he's the only dude that has ever walked on water. You know, like, like you think about Martha. Martha gets a really bad rap. You know, Mary is at the feet of Jesus and she's doing the one thing that's important and Martha gets the bad rap for being the one in the kitchen, the fussy one. But how do you know it's easy to be Mary when it's not your house? How do you know it's easy to be Mary when you're not Martha? Like I, I personally think about Adam. Adam now, bless him, he eats the fruit but he gets a bad rap. But he wasn't the first one. I'm just saying, Eve was kind of complicit in this as well, you know? I'm convinced that Gideon is going to be one of the first characters that is in the face of most preachers who is entirely frustrated that for thousands of years we have entirely misunderstood the context and the story of what is going on with Gideon. You see, here's how most sermons go about Gideon. Most sermons go something like this, that Gideon was a coward who was beating out, he was gathering the harvest from the field and taking this barley and this grain and this wheat into a wine press to hide from the Midianites. But thankfully, God is a God who finds cowards and can turn them into heroes. And that's true, that that it would be a true point, that actually God does take the elements of our life where we feel like there is a coward or we feel a spirit of fear and He can do incredible things with us and through the spirit of faith and through the Spirit and through the Holy Spirit's presence can lead us into a place where we triumph over our fears. But that is not what is going on in the story of Gideon. In fact, what you have to understand is that Gideon being in a wine press was not evidence of his cowardice, but actually proof of his courage. You see, what you have to understand, the context of this story is that here's a man that is taking the harvest from the field, dragging it into a wine press to thresh it. He's dragging this wheat, this barley, this grain. He is threshing it in a wine press. Now, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You do it up on surface level. So as you thresh this wheat, the wind blows away the chaff and the grain falls to the floor. You don't do it in a wine press below surface level because there's no wind to blow away the chaff. So why on earth is Gideon in a wine press? Well, it's actually quite clear in the text when you read it. It says not that Gideon was hiding in the wine press to hide himself, it actually says in Judges chapter 6 that Gideon was in a wine press hiding the wheat. And all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord comes and says, You are a mighty man of valor. 
And I, again, used to think and assume that this, 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 this announcement over Gideon was something like that, you know, God comes not to affirm where Gideon has found himself, but to affirm what's in the man and to prophesy a future. But again, that's not what's happened. Valor means courage proven in battle. And Gideon is in a battle. Because for what we often miss is the fact that actually all of Israel, the whole nation of Israel has been under the occupation of the Midianites and have fled for the mountains in fear to hide in caves. But one man and in an entire nation has remained in his field and stood his ground and thought logistically and thought creatively of ways to hide the wheat from the Midianites who were coming down to steal all of the crops and continued to climb into a wine press and thresh the wheat. Gideon was a genius. While everybody else has run to the hills Gideon refuses to abdicate responsibility and refuses to give up the hope of a better future and thinks creatively and climbs into a wine press and continues to beat the wheat and barley. You see, Judges chapter 6 is where Walt Disney got the idea for A Bug's Life. Like it's literally the story of A Bug's Life. You know, remember the movie A Bug's Life? Have you seen it where the ants would collect the produce of the land, they collect it all, all year, and then the grasshoppers would come down at the end of the season and they would overturn the homes and steal all of the stuff that ants eat? <laughs> Whatever it is. Do you remember the story? That's literally what's happening in Judges chapter 6. The Israelites would, produce, would gather the crops from the land. The Midianites would come down and destroy the land and take the produce. And so they run in fear, but not Gideon. Gideon stands his ground, climbs into a wine press, and day after day, week after week, month after month, maybe even year after year, continues to thresh this wheat. In fact, this wasn't even his field. It was his father's field. But while his father has abdicated responsibility, Gideon refuses to do likewise and picks up what other people have run from and climbs into his winepress and works with his winepress and continues to beat the wheat. I come with this word for you this morning, Embassy City Church, because I know that every single one of you in this auditorium have wine presses that you would love to climb out of, but you have refused to do so. And I want to come with a word of encouragement. Well done, mighty man of valor. Well done, mighty woman of valor. Your courage has been proven in battle. Well done, good and faithful servant. As you have worked with what you've got, as you have worked with your wine press, you can end this year knowing that in 2020, God will continue to work through you to do incredible things in your life. In Jesus' name. You see, we all have wine presses. We all have circumstances. We all have relationships. We all have stuff that we would love to climb out of. But here's the message of Judges chapter 6. Here's the principle. We have to be a people. We have to be individuals. We have to be a church that stops waiting for what we want and starts working with what we've got. I mean, that's the message of Gideon. Stop waiting for what you want 
and start working with what you've got. Like Gideon wants a fight. He, I mean, we, we will find out in a few moments the passion of the guy when, he, when the angel comes and he's like furious that God hasn't brought them into their land and that they're still oppressed from, by the Midianites. He is frustrated. He has a vision for what Israel should look like. But instead of waiting for what he wants, he just works with what he's got. While he's waiting for a war, he works with a wine press. While he's waiting for a fight, he just keeps gathering the produce of the field. While he's waiting for a sword, he just keeps picking up a sickle. And I tell you this, if we would be a people that would stop waiting for what we want and continue with the spirit of faith to work with what we've got, God can take care of the rest. You see, and I don't know if you realize it, but it's the whole way through Scripture. It's the whole way through the Bible. I mean, think about, um, think about David. Who loves David? Okay, David clearly isn't a favorite here. <laughs> You're down on David. Come on, who loves David? David? Who loves the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, okay, sort of. Um, do you know David? We love this. Well, I love the story of David. The story of David runs up to Goliath, a few smooth stones, bang, the giant's down, victory's his, he's the king. What a story. But do you know that David was never, ever sent to the front line to fight? David was sent to the front line to serve. He, I don't know if you know the context. He literally was the boy. He was the younger son that stayed at home. While all of Israel are fighting against um, the Philistines and against Goliath, David was the only brother, the only son that is remaining at home. And his dad thinks, well, the bro- his older brothers need feeding. And so every day, David would run to the front line with bread and cheese. He would literally run to the front line with bread and cheese. He'd feed his brothers. He was the original Domino's pizza delivery guy. Like every day, his dad would pull out of the oven a hot steaming pepperoni pizza. David would jump on his moped and he would drive with his little Domino's pizza moped thing and he would give pizza to the bigger boys. David was sent to the front line day in, day out to serve. And can I tell you how you will, you will stumble your way into your future and your destiny by serving your way into your destiny and your future. You see, there would come a day where David would pick up a bag of five smooth stones, but before he had to do that, he had to continue just to bring the grain to the bigger boys in the fight. You see, if you are too big to serve, you are far too little to lead. And David evidenced that if, we would, if he would just pick up the bread and the cheese and jump on his moped and just day in, day out, do the stuff that nobody else wanted to do, he knew that eventually he would stumble his way into the future that God had for him. We have to be a people that stops waiting for what we want and starts working with what we've got. That's just David. I mean, think about, I mean, my favorite, um, my favorite New Testament story is, uh, is where... Uh, Jesus turns up to, uh, I guess, the burial site of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Jesus shows up in many ways late to the funeral. I mean, he was meant to be there when he was sick, not when he was dead. And he shows up and Mary and Martha greets him. And there's uh, an atmosphere of intense grief and, and anger towards Jesus that he's late. Uh, and Jesus is deeply moved. He approaches this, this cave with the stone rolled against it, and he is deeply moved. 
but he still knows that something is going to take place here. And you know the story. Jesus is about to speak into this, this tomb and speak life where there's death. He is about to pull this dead man who's been there for four days on his back dead. He's about to call, cause life to come into his heart. He is about to cause this man Lazarus to jump out of his grave. So here's my question. If Jesus is about to raise a dead man out of the grave, why does he turn to Martha and need any help in rolling away the stone? Like he turns to Martha and asks Martha to roll away the stone. Like if you're going to... If, if, this, if this Jesus guy can raise a dead man, why does he need any help pushing a stone? Like just turn it to bread. Use the force. Like... Whatever he does, abracadabra, the river dance, sprinkle the magic dust. Like, I don't know how he does it. Just say the word. Why, why just boom, just open sesame, off he goes. Why does he need any help rolling away the stone? Why? Because God always uses his followers in his miracles. God, has ref, God refuses to work alone. I don't know if you realize that. In fact, when God wants to work in a miracle in your life, do you know how it shows up normally, normally as a person? Because God never works alone. And in fact, even when Lazarus stumbles out of the grave, all bound in these linen cloths like the mummy returns, kind of shuffling out, he turns to Mary and Martha again and says, no, no, I want you to unbind him and let him go. Like it's, it's Mary and Martha. Like, like Jesus gets this man out of the grave, but it's Mary and Martha that get the grave off of the man. So I don't know if you realize, but that's the church, by the way. This is, how, this is how we will change the world. God gets people out of the grave, but the church gets the grave off of the people. You see, people stumble out of, their, people stumble out of death and out of sin, but they still smell like the place that they came from. The question is whether we are prepared to be a church that is prepared to move away heavy stones and remove smelly rags. And I tell you what, revival often in my life has felt a lot like hard work. It's felt a lot like just trying to push away big boulders and remove smelly clothes from people. But are we prepared to be the people that stops waiting for what we want and starts working with what we've got? I mean, even, even Jesus does it. Uh, again, um, I love the, the feed, who loves the feeding of the 5,000? Who doesn't love a big church picnic, right? He tells the disciples to go away and get this hungry crowd some food. They're confused. They, 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 they think, well, surely we, should just send them to, surely we should just send them into the towns where there's Chick-fil-A and Whataburgers and all great, great places to, to eat. They, they think send them away. But Jesus, even though Jesus has no food, I love what he does. He works with what he's got. It says that he has plenty of grass. Now, it's not, not, not that kind of grass, like grass that you sit on. So, I mean, it may have explained why they were so hungry, but it's like, <laughs> it would make a lot. So he, he, he sees that there's no food, and the Bible says that there was plenty of grass. So he thinks... Well, before you give them something to eat, you have to help them take a seat. If you work with what you've got, if you just do the simple thing of working with... Moses, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's just a staff. It was the staff that would lead the whole of Israel 
into the future that God had for him. What is it in your hand? What is it? What have you? Let's be a church. Let's be a people that stops waiting for what we want and starts working with what we've got. Are you with me? So day after day, Gideon continues to just drag in this barley, this, this grain, this wheat into the wine press, into a place of obscurity, into a place where, of isolation, where he's not praised, where he's not affirmed, where there's no one patting him on the back, where there's no volunteer of the month, where there's no pay rise, in a place of frustration, thinking, why am I even doing this? This is my father's field. And day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, continues to work with the wine press and beat the wheat. He continues just to climb in. I wonder what our life would look like if we would stop thinking that faith is always about getting out and realize that actually, maybe it's about just staying put. Day after day, week after week, the sweaty, hard work of just doing the simple stuff well. Do you know what our problem is, I think, most of the time? I think most of the time, as Christians, we're waiting for our calling. You know, like we're waiting for like this ethereal, out there, mystical call of God. You know, where Jesus comes and sits at the end of our bed and does the river dance and announces our future, like a big neon sign, like marry him. We're waiting for our calling. Can I tell you, I spent so many years as a, as a young adult in my 20s, like waiting for my call, calling. You know, like, Lord, speak to me. What is thine purpose for thouest? You know, and you dress it all up with the right, with the right Christianese, you know, and you, you think, and you, every time the prophet comes to preach, you know, guest speaker's a prophet, you wear the brightest color clothes you've got. You sit at the front and you have your hair like all up and you kind of, because you, you want a prophecy. You want somebody else to announce your future. Do you know what I did when I was about 23 years of age? I made a decision. I was going to stop waiting for my calling and I was going to call it. I thought, I made a decision. I'm going to live the life that I would love God to call me into. I'm going to live, I'm going to live the life that I would like God to call me into. Because I, I passionately believe that God gives us the desires of our hearts. Which mean, doesn't mean that I want a red Ferrari in my heart, so God will give me a red Ferrari. It means that the very desire has been placed there by God. So under the counsel of good leadership and through the spirit of prayer, you actually can trust your heart more than you think you can. So actually, you can begin to make decisions. God has empowered you far more than you realize to actually make decisions and begin to call and live the life that you would like to be led into using the stuff that God has given you right now. You see, I think often our problem as Christians is we think that like, life is like a tightrope. You know, like, like destiny is some sort of thin rope that we have to somehow, like, you know, we're in, in between two kind of um, mount, mountains, <laughs> cliffs, and we, and we feel like we're like suspended above this great um, depth. <laughs> Should have really thought about this illustration 
before I used it. And we feel like we're on this tightrope and it's like one misplaced decision. One, like if I wear the wrong socks, color socks in the morning, I'm going to miss out on destiny. If I have the wrong breakfast cereal in the morning, and it's like we're waiting for God to help us make decisions. But do you know what I've realized is that life is a lot less like a tightrope and more like a field to explore. See, the scriptures say that his boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, which means life is a lot less like a thin line that we have to walk and more like an exploration that we're actually empowered to make decisions and actually allowed to go on a quest and actually allowed to explore the boundary lines of what God has for us. And the amazing thing is, is that even if we put our foot down in the wrong place and somehow make a wrong decision, all things work together for good. So it's like the tectonic plates under our life are reconfigured so we still end up being able to walk into the things that God has for us. You see, the scriptures say this, that surely goodness and mercy will follow me, which means you are way more empowered to step out with the themes of your heart and the inspirations of the Holy Spirit to actually live the life that you would like God to live to call you into. If you would use the stuff that God has given you and actually stop waiting just for what you want and work with what you've got and live your life in the direction you would like God to call you into, it's a lot easier for God to change the direction of a moving object. In Jesus' name. To stop waiting for your calling and call it. You see, this is, and maybe as um, the keyboards come up, this is This is Gideon because the force of emotion that comes to the angel once it's called, it's evident that there is this, there is this, this, this spirit in the man that knows what life should look like, but works with what he's got to forge the future, not just for him, but for his people. You see, his continuance in the wine press was a statement of defiance to the Midianites and a, state and a message of hope to his people. Just day in, day out, month in, month out, week in, week out. He wanted a war, but for the moment it's just a wine press. He wanted a fight, but for the moment it's just this field. And for you, there are things that you want. There are aspirations, there are dreams. And it may not look like the life that you want, but in the meantime, just work with the wine press. He said, I love, <clears throat> the angel comes and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Your courage has been proven in battle. He calls him out. And within the turn of a page, suddenly now Gideon has an army. Thousands of people are now following him within the time of a page. Isn't it amazing how God takes a long time to do a quick thing? Like he's in that wine press for a length of time, but suddenly within the turn of a page, he is now leading this army. And in Judges 7, we find this great, this just amazing run of scripture where the angel says to Gideon, now the night before battle, before Gideon is about to, go and just destroy the Midianites. He said, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp and I want you to, I want you to go and observe. I want you to go and, go and listen to what's happening. And this is, this is amazing. The next chapter, it says in Judges chapter 7, it says, when Gideon uh, comes down, came to the camp, it says, behold, 
a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he says, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. His comrade says to him, says, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So this leader of the, Israel, of the Midianite army wakes up in a nightmare, panic-stricken. He believes that he's had this prophetic dream of a cake of barley tumbling down the hill and turning the tent over. And his comrade has enough like a sense of wisdom about him to, to interpret this dream and says, well, this is, this is the sword of Gideon. And I love this passage because I find it no surprise that the very thing that is used in the spirit with this tent, this cake of barley, was the very thing that Gideon would have been threshing in the wine press. It's like Gideon is in the wine press day in, day out, just threshing this harvest, the produce of the land. He just thinks he's picking up grain and picking up wheat and picking up barley. But in the spirit, it was the very thing that God would use to defeat the Midianites. You see, you underestimate the activity of you, your life. You think the stuff that you're doing day in, day out is no consequence or of no importance. No, no, in the spirit, with, the, with, the, with faith, hope and love, it's the simple stuff done with a trust in Jesus and that he is unfolding the life in front of you. It's that stuff in the spirit that is actually defeating every enemy that comes against you. It's the barley and the wheat and the wine presses of our lives that work together a great future in Jesus and he just day in day out month in month out just works with the wine press just just threshes this wheat mighty man of valor and I almost imagine like it's like in this wine press like God is in there the whole time just collecting the grain just not one grain drops to the floor and you feel like you've been lost, you've been missed, God's forgotten about you. The only reason that you are still in the wine press is that God has not finished with you in it. And we're racing to find the nearest ladder and climb out of the thing that God has put us in. No, no, let's, this morning, let's climb back down and realize that actually this is where God has called us. This is where God has placed us. Let's work with the wine press. And do you know the amazing thing? It's like, it's like he's in this, this wine press day in, day out. And the comrade in the tent says to the leader, this is none other than the sword of Gideon. And the whole time, Gideon didn't even know it. The whole time he's threshing the wheat, really what he was doing, he was building those big old biceps for that sword arm. It's like in the spirit. He only had a sickle, but in the spirit, he had a sword the whole time. It's like in the spirit, he was just a wine press, but in the spirit, it was a war. You have no idea what you are doing right now today just by even being in church, sitting with your wife, loving your children, giving in the offering, going to work tomorrow morning, loving your neighbour, buying a coffee, just being the kindness of Christ to the people around you, just praying for your children, just doing the simple stuff well, working with what you've got. 
and believing that God will lead you into the things that he has in Jesus' name. So I come with a word of encouragement. Your, your, your courage has been proven in battle. And at the close of 2019, don't get out of your wine press because God has not finished with you in it. Come on, if you believe it, can we just give Jesus just 30 seconds of praise? Come on, if you know that God has called you to your wine press, let's give him a shout. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information on our church, please go to www.embassycity.com. We would love to hear from you. Our prayer is that you have been inspired and transformed. Have a wonderful day and come back again.